LaMelo Ball. Jason Williams. LaMelo Ball. Jason Williams. Jason Williams. Williams pushing it. Flies past the Anderson for the reverse. Look at the survey of the V right there. Pick it up. Right through the contact. On this episode of NBA Now and Then, The Greatest Comparisons, we compare two of the flashiest passers of their era. Back in the day, white chocolate dished out dimes like candy. Their games full of flair and finesse. His brand of ball is beyond his years. Their instincts as impressive as their IQ. Running the break with these two, your hands better be ready. We are excited to present to you LaMelo Ball and Jason Williams. I'm Uriah. I'm Maurice. I'm Lucas. And I'm Ben. And we're here to talk NBA now and then. All right, so here we are, guys. Before we get into it, the background aspect, I just want to ask you guys, I'll go to Ben first. When you think about this comparison of LaMelo Ball, and you think about how he compares to Jason Williams. What makes this comparison so unique or special? Fan favorite, and they both appeal to the youth. You know, we're a little older, but I was always uh, amazed of how many young kids love LaMelo. Like, that's their guy when he, when he came out right away. And that's how I think I felt in junior high, high school about white chocolate. And so I think that's what I think about right away. It's like, oh, these guys are flashy. They make quick decisions. They're exciting to watch. So I would say fan favorite because they don't really have the accolades, you know what I mean, to, to back it up. But people just like watching them. Yeah. Especially young kids. What about you, Lucas? For me, it's just so unique because we have a lot of great passers in NBA history, but the ability to manipulate the ball and have such geometric precision to their passing that we haven't seen from very many other, if any other players, I think that's what makes this comparison unique. Who doesn't like flashy passes? You know, kids grow up, they see players that look like them, same height and everything, and they all believe they could one day pass a ball like LaMelo Ball or Jason Williams. I tell you what, Ben, what you said about white chocolate, I, I definitely can relate to that. He was such a joy to watch in the 90s and early 2000s in LaMelo. Anytime he comes on a highlight of ESPN or anything online, it's you stop what you're doing so you can watch and see what he was able to do to entertain the crowd. These guys are fantastic passers, the vision, the ability to pass guys open and to make plays that only they can make, I can't wait to talk about these two. First quarter, background. All right, let's get into some biographical content about LaMelo, a.k.a. Mellow Ball, a.k.a. Big Baller Baby Boy. Yes, I just made that up for you guys. LaMelo LaFrance Ball was born August 22, 2001, in Chino Hills, California. His parents, LaVar and Tina Ball, they both played college hoops. Now, LaMelo's brother, Lonzo, as we all know, plays point guard for the Chicago Bulls, while his other brother, LiAngelo, has played professionally. 
As LaMelo's skill on the court as a young teen expanded, so did his profile. ESPN 100 had him ranked 13th best prospect in his class. He averaged almost 25 points a game at Chino Hills High School in 2017. Get this, guys. LaMelo scored 92 points Mm. in a win over Los Osos High School. I'll say that again. 92. His father, known for his braggadocious style and entrepreneurial approach as an advocate for his sons, had LaMelo promoting the big baller brand, which went against NCAA amateurism guidelines. This made him ineligible to play for any college at the time. Now, LaMelo passed on college and he decided to play basketball overseas instead. Does anyone know what colleges were in contact with the Ball family to see if Melo would come and play for them? Anybody know that? I'm going to go with a California team. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with USC. Aren't that I would I mean Cal. That's about it. All right. Uh Maurice, you got the correct answer. <laughs> you got USC. There was another school. Kansas was really, really pushing hard. Yeah, Kansas was pushing hard. Huh. And this is coming directly from LaMelo. There was a conversation on their TV show called Ball in the Family. I don't oh, know if you I've guys watched, watched that. that first I watched the, like, yeah. the first like eight episodes of that. It was actually right. kind of fun to follow at the time. Oh yeah. Interesting family for sure. Yeah. Apparently, he said, yeah, this is USC and Kansas. They they want me, Dad, or they want me. He's talking to his brother. All right. LaMelo began playing professionally in 2017-2018 for a Lithuanian team. He played in eight games, averaging six and a half points, a little over two assists, and one rebound in almost 13 minutes. Now, he was really young at the time. His best performance with the team was against Zalgiris, where Ball recorded 19 points, six assists, and one steal in 28 minutes. But then LaMelo signed with an Australian team in the NBL. He started 13 games, he averaged 17 points, eight rebounds, and nearly seven assists in 31 minutes. His best performance was a win over Cairns, where Ball posted 32 points, 13 assists, and 11 rebounds Mm. in 40 minutes. So that being said, guys, I'll go to Maurice first. What stands out to you about LaMelo playing internationally? Well, first of all, what was he like, 17? 16, 17, yeah. That's pretty impressive to do that at 16, 17 years old when you're playing against grown men. That's very Mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah, how young he was. And then I remember he was getting criticized a lot. People were like, ah, like six points. But then he he grew and started to put up numbers in the Australian League. Clearly that translated to to the NBA, playing against professionals that young. So it was a smart decision, actually. I just want to add there, because I did watch the Big Baller TV show. From what I could tell, that head coach in Lithuania, did not want to play young people at all. And Mm -hmm. I don't think he appreciated the fanfare that came along with the boys. I mean, he's not a big person now in terms of muscle mass. He was even smaller back then. Yeah, I remember that. It's just astounding that he's the youngest athlete in history to have a signature shoe. And that's Mm -hmm. mostly his dad pushing that whole agenda. You know, it's nothing wrong with trying to raise your platform and and monetize your talent. I thought it was interesting. And also the one thing I I enjoyed learning about his background is how open-minded he was. I remember hearing an interview with him talking about going overseas and 
walking away with cultural experience. And I think that shows a sign of maturity on his behalf. And, mm-hmm. and I think that'll carry a long way. Say what you want about LeVar Ball. He's always put his sons in great positions to oh, be successful. Absolutely. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. <laughs> A LaMelo Ball goes third overall to Charlotte. Hey, look, this is LaMelo's night, but Lonzo still has bragging rights because he went second overall in 2017. And if you know the competitive spirit of the Ball brothers, I would say that after Lonzo gives him his time in the sun, probably won't let him forget that anytime soon. This Ball family someone that basketball fans have become quite familiar with. Both parents played basketball in college. Lonzo and Leangelo, both professional players as well. It has been a long and winding road for LaMelo to get to the NBA. All right, we usually don't do this, but let's just do it real quick. So because he's so young and has a really great future ahead of him, I'm just curious about your projections about this player, LaMelo Ball. Lucas, what's his ceiling? What do you think about his future? I mean, health is a part of it. It's been a concern early on in his career, but let's assume the best here and that he stays healthy. If I had to put an over-under, I think he can make more. He's already made one All-Star appearance. I'm going to give him three to five All-Star appearances in his career. Tops, tops is that he leads the league in assists one season. Okay. Maurice? Yeah, I agree with that. I would say six to seven All-Star appearances. Mm. Well, I do believe that he will be... A uh, uh, upper echelon type of caliber player where they can be a non-playoff team and he could still be an all-star player. I think I'm with Maurice. I think closer to seven or eight. The fact he was an all-star in his um, second year surprised me. Not off of like his stats, like he deserved it, but how quickly he matured. And yeah, his scoring. I didn't think that would that would be that advanced. And I have to add, like, I mean, I think we all do it. The Warriors, every time they hear that clip you just played, mm-hmm. them not picking LaMelo. Uh, yeah. It's got to be rough. Yeah. It's got to be rough. Well, I agree with what Lucas was saying about the teams that he plays on might either, ex- I guess, accelerate his stardom or, uh, I guess, obtaining more nods to the All-Star team. But look, he has a bright future, and I can't wait to see what he comes back with this year. Okay, now let's go back in time and focus on a really special player. Let's talk about White Chocolate, a.k.a. J-Will, a.k.a. J-Dub, a.k.a. The White Shadow. Didn't know that one. So before he got those nicknames, he was born Jason Williams, November 18th, 1975, the small town of Bell, West Virginia. In high school, J-Dub starred for the DuPont Panthers, where he became the only player in school history to reach 1,000 points, 500 assists. USA Today named Williams the West Virginia Player of the Year in 1994. Does anyone know what Hall of Fame football player Jason Williams played with on the high school basketball team? Well, I think we all know that one. Yeah, we all know that. That's pretty easy here. Who is it? Randy Moss. Randy who? Moss. Randy Boss? 
<laughs> I'm messing with you. Yeah, of course, clearly, it's Randy was. Yeah, Randy was. So yeah, that was quite a ticket, I'm sure, back in the day. Remember they showed like uh, the Nike commercial? Oh yeah. Did yeah. we go to this start out at the same college together too? Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. Good grab there. After mm-hmm. his high school graduation, he attended, like Lucas said, Marshall University. But check this out. He then transferred to the University of Florida. At Marshall, he averaged 13 points, three and a half rebounds, and almost six and a half assists. At Florida, Jason Williams averaged 17 points, three boards, and almost seven assists. In 1996, he played in the All-Southern Tournament and made the Southern All-Freshman Team. Now, he did have a few hiccups in his college career, like when he had to sit out the 1995-96 season because of the student transfer rule. He also missed time due to a suspension for cannabis use during the second half of the 1997 season. I have a quick did you know. Did you know that Billy Donovan, two-time NCAA championship coach, started at Marshall coaching Jay Will, and then Donovan took the Florida coaching job, and that Jay Will went with him? Mm. Did you guys know that? Wow, did did not not know know that. that. Did not know that. Isn't that interesting? Very. That's yeah. like, like he was at Marshall. He's like, I'm going to Florida. And I'm taking a new job. And Jay Will's like, I'm coming with you. That <laughs> says a lot. In 1998, Jay Will entered the NBA draft. With the seventh pick in the 1998 NBA draft, the Sacramento Kings select Jason Williams from the University of Florida. Jason Williams not in attendance here tonight at GM Place in Vancouver, but this is a guy who can play some ball for the Florida Gators. 6'1", 180 pounds. He's had some problems off the court, which have hampered him there. But talent-wise, when you're looking at what this kid does with a basketball, not bad. Now, you're talking a guy 6'1", 190, who has great speed, the ability to get to anywhere on the court that he would like. He has three-point range, and he has a real feel for the game. He can distribute in either transition or the half-court game. All right, Maurice, what did you walk away from listening to Jay Will's college career? Well, first of all, uh, there's that guy, Hubie Brown, again. He's everywhere. Count Hubie, yeah, vampire. He's, he's everywhere. <laughs> Love Hubie. Love yeah. Hubie Brown. Well, like we heard in that clip, maybe a lot of fans weren't that familiar with Jason Williams. But when he got drafted to the Kings, it was a perfect fit for what type of offense they ran. Now, they were more successful without him, but we'll get to that later. Ben, what about you? I didn't really know about Jason Williams, and I followed college basketball back then. I think it's because he got suspended. He really only played half a season, two-thirds of a season. Played one year at Florida. For me, it was just kind of like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And it just was, uh, we haven't really seen anyone like him up to that point. We hadn't seen seen kind of a, a white point guard like that in a long time. Lucas, what about you? You know what all this told me is that sometimes you can find diamonds in the rough, and that includes West Virginia, because besides Jason Williams, there's one other elite guard in NBA history that came from West Virginia. Do you guys know who it is? I'm not familiar. You should. He's on the logo. Oh, Jerry Jerry West. West. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a good grab there, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just can only imagine the lobs that he was throwing to Randy Moss. I can only imagine Pac Gems when those two played together. And one other thing about his background that I found intriguing is his upbringing. He described his hometown in an interview as there was the white side and there was the black side. So for him, I think culturally, his experience growing up in West Virginia was probably just as unique as the impact that he had on the game. And I think a lot of NBA players, even today, they they love Jay Will. They respect him so much. And I think it's not just because of how he played, but it's, it's his ability to connect with other cultures and show respect. So. Second quarter. Statistics. Yeah. Over Sabonis. Boom. Woo. That's a first as an NBA player for LaMelo Ball. Dumboya can't make the catch in traffic. LaMelo, what a pass. Five bridges. Welcome back, LaMelo. This pass by LaMelo. Underhanded. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, that's got to be timing, touch. Miles says, I missed that. <laughs> Doubling their pleasure over New York. Kevin Knox misses his first shot. Full-length baseball pass. And Gordon Hayward catches it in. Cool off a little bit. His pass. Hello, right on the money. Oh. I mean, he threw it right in stride where Gordon Hayward just caught it in rhythm. And it was almost like a little post-up. Just turned right over the left shoulder. Splash it. Middleton, two-time All-Star. Again, LaMelo ahead of the pack. This time leaves it for Hayward. Hey, look at this. No look knew exactly where Gordon Hayward was, and I put it right on the money, and Holiday has kids got to let him go. Get it back. Here comes LaMelo Ball with his hair on fire. So as you guys just heard, those were some highlights from of LaMelo Ball's play. Here's the numbers with LaMelo. So he is 6'7". He's a pretty big point guard. We're talking Sean Livingston area here. And he's 180 pounds, pretty thin for 6'7". Uh, he's worn two numbers. He's worn two, and then he switched it over to one this past season. He's only had three seasons, so we're going to, even though he had a quote-unquote better statistical season last year, he only played 36 games. So we're going to look at his lone all-star season here, guys, which was the season before that where he averaged 20 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, two steals, a half a block, and three turnovers while shooting 43% from the field and 39% from the three-point line, as well as... 87% from the foul line. Now, like I said, he had quote-unquote better scoring numbers last year. He averaged around 23 points and eight assists, but the shooting percentage went down a little bit. And like I said, he only played 36 games. But if you go to his career highs, he's only played three seasons, guys, so it's a very small sample size here. So here's an over-under number for you guys. Over-under 40 points. Uriah. I go under. Ben? Under. Maurice? I'll go over. Well, Uriah and Ben, you're right. Maurice, you're wrong. His career high was 38 points so far. Okay. He's also had a 17-rebound game and two 15-assist, at least two 15-assist games. 
He's also had five steals, three blocks, eight turnovers as career highs. Wow. So before I move on, just some interesting counting stats. I remember when he was getting drafted, people were concerned about his three-point shot. His career average at the three-point line is 37, almost 38% from the three-point line. The interesting fact here that I would like to say here is that they were saying that he was going to be the best of the ball brothers. And so far, I would say that that would be correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that. Career high 17 rebounds. Mm hmm. That's impressive. 15 assists. Mm hmm. Career high 38. That tells me right there, he's got some versatility to his game. That's not known for his defense, but honestly, I think he could if he actually focused on that end. I mean, he's only been in the league three years. So. Yeah. And if, and just from a physical standpoint, he hasn't matured into the grown man body yet. So mm. when he does, watch out! Yeah, watch <laughs> out! Yeah, yeah. We gotta remember he's only twenty two years old as of now. Wow. Yeah, he's still a baby in the league. Ben, what are your thoughts? The three point shooting, like his shooting, was questionable coming into the league, and I think he's a really good shooter because he does shoot volume, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really have that many. A great teammates, so he is probably being doubled on a good amount. So I think the fact that he right away is a above average three point shooter, it it, it speaks to like how good he's going to be. And you, I think once he plays a little bit more careful around the rim, because because a lot of his injuries happen by him being a little too aggressive, I think we'll really start seeing like his numbers go up. So Ben, it's interesting that you brought up volume. Last season, in 36 games, he's attempted 10.6 three-pointers per game. What? And wow. shot 37.6. Oh, yeah, that, that fits. When I, when I see him Crazy. on league pass, I'm like, it's like all he does. Oh. He's, he's, like, he's like Steph Curry. He's just like that, chucking that, them. that counts more than 50% of his shot attempts. He only averages 20 field goal attempts per game last season. So that's more than half. Yeah, that that's one thing about his game. I think that could improve is he's a little predictable. Shot selection, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like when he goes to, to the rim, you know he's going to pass it. Mm-hmm. But like he isn't, he isn't. He can shoot. He's not Simmons. Like it's not that predictable. Yeah, he he only yeah. averages about three and a half to three free throws a game for his career. So, and he's floated around the same number essentially the whole entire time. So. If he was willing to take more contact, and maybe he's not because he's afraid for health, which for that 180-pound frame, I understand. You know, he could make a living and score even more if he wanted to, if he was willing to take the contact. So the stat that stands out to me, Lucas, that you read was the 28-7, and seven, his average. Whatever season it was, I don't. it doesn't matter to me. What matters, what matters to me is consistency. And for him to be so young, and to produce every single night in that range of numbers to me is impressive. And I also, I just want to say that he's one of the few players in the league who's playing for a losing franchise that I would actually pay to see come to my mm-hmm. home city play because Agreed. he is that he is that entertaining to watch because you never know what you might see when he's on the court. Absolutely. <laughs> No shooting, one for eight. Oh, baby! Eight behind the back, and they deliver two. I love it here. That's a great play. <laughs> Debbie again, through the legs, stolen. Jason, oh, what a 
kidding me? <laughs> oh, man, on his back. How did he see him there? Well, his name is Jason Williams, that's why. Three times this year, he's had five in one game. Look out, pass it to himself, laying it in. Even the Warrior fans are going crazy. He was brought it to Danny Fortune, who wasn't looking. Here's the lob, the catch and the fire. Gets the ball and immediately spots. Well, ahead. Here comes Williams. Oh, no look pass. You better be alert with Williams handling the Giants in there for that one. And he's accorded a nice ovation. Jason, great crossover. Freezes Fisher. Goes glass and scores. Here they go to Jason Williams. Well, there it is. Jason Williams all by himself in a right-hand dunk. Jason Williams going the full length of the court. He's shown that this is that he wants to win. Looks like the game we had at halftime with the kids. Uh, <laughs> he had 19. So those were just some highlights of Jason Williams. And I'll be honest with you guys. I've shown my students some of these highlights, and they're like, oh, he's like an older version of LaMelo Ball. So perfect segue. Jason Williams is not as tall as LaMelo. He's only 6'1". He weighed 190 pounds. So despite uh, giving up about six inches, he's still heavier than LaMelo was. He's worn a lot of different jerseys over his career. He first started out with the Sacramento Kings. He wore 55 with Memphis, two different iterations of the uniform. And he wore two for both during his first stint there. And then he went to Miami, won a championship there, as we know. And wore 55. Then he retired for a year. Came back with Orlando. Played for, wore, wore 44. And then he finished his career with the Grizzlies and wore three that last half season. So I went back and I looked here. And I decided to go with the best passing season as his career year. Because he doesn't have an all-star appearance. He averaged 12 points. Almost eight and a half assists. With three rebounds. One steal. Only two turnovers. While shooting 39% from the field, 35% from the three-point line, and 84% from the foul line. So fun fact here, he and LaMelo are tied for career high in points at 38. <laughs> Ironic. He has a career high of nine rebounds. So here's my over-under question for you guys. Over-under, 20 assists as a career high. Under. Over. I'll go over. Maurice, you're the only one right. He had 19 assists as a career high in the 2001-2002 season. He also had six steals as a career high, two blocks, eight turnovers. Despite being the flat, one of the flashiest passers, he's only averaged eight assists twice. Hmm. And then his career assist numbers are, only, are at 5.9. Jason Williams was also a horrendous shooter. His career field goal percentage was at 39.8% and three-point shooting at 32.7%. And like I said earlier, he did win a championship as the backup for the Miami Heat during their 2006 playoff run. Actually, no, he's he, my mistake. He was the starter. Yeah, he was the starter. He was the starter, but only averaged about four assists per game during that, that run. So, and that's how I got introduced to Jason Williams, by the way, because that was the first NBA Finals that I had watched it live. So, let me start with Uriah on this run. Uriah, what are your thoughts based off these numbers? The, I think the jersey number stands out. Usually 55 is a number worn by a big man. You think of 
Dikembe Mutombo. You think of another player named Jason Williams, who mm-hmm. started with the Sixers, went to the New Jersey Nets, became an all-star at one point. So for him to be a guard and wear 55, that's a little off to me. But the one thing that surprised me, Lucas, is that he only got to eight assists per game as an average. You would suspect. No, no, no. As, as, uh, at like twice as a plateau. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm surprised that he didn't average more than eight mm-hmm. assists at any point of his career because he's played with some really outstanding offensive players. Dwayne Wade, Shaq, obviously Chris Webber, and all those guys out in Sacramento. But But yeah, I think his jersey number and not getting more than eight assists. As an so average. both of those eight assist years were mm. in Memphis. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. That's, yeah. I, yeah. Wouldn't have, wow. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. Yeah, those teams were good. That was like early <laughs> Pau Gasol. It's yeah. like Hubie that Brown. That makes sense. Yeah. Make yeah. roll with Pau Gasol. Yeah. 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 yeah, those teams were talented, actually. So do you have any numbers with – he was just with Sacramento? So his career assist numbers with Sacramento was about – 6.3, and he averaged about 11 points per game there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I only see one season where he averaged over three turnovers. A, no, two seasons where he averaged over three turnovers a game, which may, means he took care of the ball very well. For Jason Williams only have five to six assists, and, and, I, and I emphasize the Kings because that was, in my opinion, his prime years as a starter and as an impact player, although he didn't make an all-star appearance, that was the most impactful years. Oh yeah. That tells me that the offense was ran really well. He didn't need to pass as much because he also had facilitators on that team. We'll get to the teammates Mm -hmm. later, like Mm -hmm. Roddy Divock and Chris Weber, who can also pass as well. Mm -hmm. So I'll say this, you would think based off of all the highlights, it was Sacramento. But when you look at the numbers, he actually has better numbers with Memphis than he mm. did with Sacramento. Mm, okay. Just slightly, but it, it is there is a difference. I would say his prime was definitely in Memphis because when he, his first two seasons with the Heat was it, he was still in his prime, but then after that, after 07 season, he really took a decline. Like I said, he played only one more season before he retired for a year, and then he came back with Orlando, and then got he then he went to Memphis to finish it out that the following year. The thing that stood out the most is the minutes. He didn't mm-hmm. play that many minutes, especially for back then. Guards were playing over forty minutes consistently, or yeah. around forty. He only um, averaged so he about twenty nine. Yeah, he didn't he didn't play that much. And then kind of what we were saying about the type of bigs that he played with got assists they got numbers so they didn't he kind of fit systems really well and then he was always on kind of contending teams even that memphis they weren't contending but they were a they were a perennial playoff team mm-hmm. with pal i think that probably affected his numbers like he never really he jumped right into like that 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 king's team came out of nowhere but the talent was just mm-hmm. like unbelievable so he he seemed to always fit the system well and he adapted so he didn't he didn't really care about putting up numbers but if he was on the Charlotte Hornets the 2022 Charlotte Hornets I think we would have seen some like Ooh, wow. 22 mm. and 10 numbers well I'll say this his big most minutes per game was during his rookie season when he averaged 36 yeah he only averaged over 30 minutes per game and let me see here one two three four five, six, six seasons that he played in out of the 12 years that he he played. So 
like like you said, he didn't play that many minutes. Yeah, his, his shot was. I remember like he was he'd pull up and his shot got better. It's about by the time he was on Miami, that shot was pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. He, um, he only shot over forty percent about for five seasons. Oh, no, six yeah. seasons. Yeah. Yeah, but his, he 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 had some really good teammates. He never was really, except maybe Orlando. He never was really on like a rebuilding team. No, that Orlando team was contending that year. Yeah, it was the 0-9-10 season. The year so after he, finals, he he obviously brought something to that. If he so he was kind of always on a playoff or a contending team. Yeah. So. Third quarter, accolades. And there is your 19-year-old Kia NBA Rookie of the Year, right. LaMelo Ball. Congratulations. Right now, Congratulations. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, LaMelo, let's start here. Uh, and I'm going to show my age because when I was growing up, um, my favorite player to watch was Pete Maravich. And when I right. watch you play, and you can watch online, people have seen your clips. The way you pass the ball is unbelievable. And one of my favorites is that length of the court uh, <laughs> underhand uh, right on right on target. So who was your biggest influence about the way you play the game? So honestly, I watched a lot of people, but honestly, Pistol Pete too, because I remember my pops uh, showing me a movie from him. But a lot of people's game, I really like to look at uh, Penny Hardaway, KD, Kyrie, I mean, Magic Johnson. It's, just, it's a lot of greats, you know. Pretty much just look at everybody you know, <clears throat> together and at the end throw a little bit of my own stuff on it. LaMelo Shaq here, I don't have any questions. I, I've been seeing you play ever since you're a youngster. You're still a youngster. Right. just want to say you should be proud. Your family should be proud. Congratulations, and uh, uh, may God continue to bless you, young man. Yes, sir. Thank you, Shaq. Good looks. Uh, number one, congratulations. What was the easiest and what was the hardest thing about your rookie year? Uh, the easiest? Easiest is just showing up, being there. I mean, it's basketball, so that's pretty much come easy to me. And then the hardest, I'm going to have to say, without playing with fans, the whole corona thing, waking up for the test, that was only, that's probably the hardest thing I'll say. You know, congratulations uh, again. Uh, I've gotten a chance to watch you since probably fifth and sixth grade on the AAU circuit. Oh, yeah, the, the jet. I remember the <laughs> AAU scene. No, I remember no doubt. <laughs> yes, I had some good battles with you and your brothers, and you were the youngest of them all. You know, the one thing that I, I would say, you know, you took the unconventional route to the NBA. Right. Uh, when you look back on it, do you think that it helped you or not really or it maybe hindered you, that unconventional route to the league? Yeah, I'm going to definitely say help me. And like I said, like I say, I'm one of one, all of that. So I feel like it just fits me and it's who I am for real. Okay, so that is LaMelo. That is him winning the 2021 NBA Rookie of the Year. What other accolades, there aren't many, guys only been in the league three years. What other accolades has LaMelo won? There aren't many. What's the big one? I'm going to go with you, Uriah. What do you think? I, I Obviously, rookie of the year. Was he, uh, did he do the skills challenge? Was he in the skills challenge? Is he champion in that? I, I couldn't tell you. No skills no. challenge? Okay. It's, uh, Maurice, you go. I was going to say the uh, rookie sophomore game, MVP. Nope. Uh, running out. <laughs> Lucas? Uh, hmm. Is it all-star related? It is. It's not three-point contest. <laughs> and you said it's not the skills challenge, right? 
No, I said I was wrong. No, is it the three point contest? No, he can't. No, he was he was an NBA All Star, guys. He oh, was the yeah, he was yeah, an all star. Yeah, I, I said that earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, that was yeah, a trick question. It was a trick question, but <laughs> no, he was All NBA uh, rookie first team technically, and then he was rookie of the year. Uriah mentioned it, but he was rookie of the year professionally in the Australian league. But yeah, uh, he entering his fourth year, he's been hurt a little bit, and in two seasons, so doesn't have many accolades. But impressive so far. Uh, only 22 years old. He already is Rookie of the Year and an NBA All-Star. The future is pretty bright because he was an All-Star on, I, I think they were a playing team that year. They were like the 10th seed. Let me see. I actually don't even think they were a playing team. Yeah, they were. He's been in the playing twice, and he's put up actually pretty good numbers. No, I didn't shoot that well. He did put up twenty six and eight. So there, there, there aren't many accolades, but I think with Lamelo kind of doing someone this young, it is more about the potential. I liked what I heard in Uriah's clip, the, the clip Uriah posted. Uh, the Penny Hardaway connection is is a good one, and then the guards he kind of looks up to the playmaking. He seemed to like Magic Johnson, Pistol Pete. Um, it was interesting that he's he's into guys that are that played so long ago. Yeah, he even mentioned Penny Hardaway, and that's actually a really good comparison as well. I like Pistol Pete. No, I, I, I don't know if you guys had to do this, but my dad, when I started playing basketball in middle school, he he pulled up the Pete Maravich dribbling, you know, drills and stuff with the, yeah. with the fingertip stuff. That And you know what? That probably does help play, you know, players like Jason Williams and the middle ball be able to manipulate the ball like, like that because they probably have learned really, really elite hand dexterity. Yeah, I think as far as accolades, it's at this point, guys, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. For him to be the number one player his his rookie year says a lot about his growth, skill, and maturity. The bottom line is the guy is he's just an effortless passer. He does things out there that people are like, How do you do that? But he makes it look so easy, even at a young age, whether he's playing in an all star challenge or an all star game. But most specifically with with the Hornets, what he's playing with now, once he gets the right teammates, he'll be continuing to become a better floor general. And I project, guys, that he will become more dominant as a facilitator, like a Magic Johnson or a Pistol Pete. That's that's what I think. I'll even go even further than that. I can I will project that he can lead the league in assists. Oh yeah. Ooh yeah. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I said the assist leader at least once. I I think that's possible. Yeah, he just needs better teammates. Yeah, he needs better teammates. And then uh, something that came up, he mentioned the bubble and thinking about the, that rookie year, those guys, like that was their first league. And do you remember some of the games, teams would only have six players? Yeah. And and those rookies usually had to play. And mm-hmm. like what a uh, – and, and one other thing I'll, I'll land on is that draft, that 2020 draft – like is can is starting to the guards in that draft are really strong. We yeah. obviously know like uh, Golden State probably should have picked him over uh, James Wiseman, but Anthony Edwards, you've got Tyrese Halliburton, you've got Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly. There's some really good guards in that draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him to get Rookie of the Year over those guys is good. 
always collided, but I was happy for you right here, bro. No bull, man. This is magical moments right oh, here. Oh, man, you can't explain it. You know, you, you just got to be there to feel that. You can't eat. Man, what where, where you, where you, uh, you got your ring? Where you, where you, I ain't gonna ask where you, you know, obviously. Actually, my dad got mine. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, he, he keeps it. I think, I think up. he might enjoy it more than me. <laughs> you know, I just saw something where someone had some rings stolen. I told us, man, you can, no matter who does what, when it comes to these accomplishments, nobody can ever take this away from you. Right. You understand? No matter what they say. Right. No matter, no matter nothing. The champ will always right. be there. Champ forever, man. Let me ask you this, too. <clears throat> when you watch this, does it all come back to you? It does. I mean, like, I mean, winning, winning, winning is, winning is the cure of all. Oh, all I mean, it. that's all it's about. Right. It is, bro. Ain't no second it place. It makes it worth it, man. It makes it worth it, man. That's what's up, man. Shannon Jay Will, right. Jay Will. I'm from the White Chocolate, the champion, boy. <laughs> right. Them heat days. Yeah. <laughs> You know champion, that was champion boy, right? Champion boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know Kevin, why Kevin Kevin Garnett, right? Yeah, yeah. KG. Yeah. KG. Yeah. Very interesting way of of uh, having a, a, a. I don't even know if it was an interview, but they were watching highlights of the yeah, Heat he championship does, he season. Yeah, he does. Uh, he has his own show <laughs> on uh, Showtime. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that. That was you kind of get their personalities. All right, not many accolades. But he's got he's got a big one. Uh, what do you think his two accolades are? His his major major uh, league. I, I, I can't right. say. I I know them because I looked up the stats. So I'm I'm going to stay out of this. All one. right, we're going to start with Maurice. I think I looked up one of them. So if if this is cheating, call me out on it. When he was with Memphis, I think he led the the franchise in assists before Mike Conley. I think that was one of them I picked up. That is, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, okay, that, but that's so not it's, yeah. so it's a franchise accolade from Memphis. That yeah. is, well, I, that wasn't that wasn't the main one, the yeah. big one that I was thinking of, but that is one of them. So outside of NBA champion, I would I'm just gonna go into my hat and pull out the he he. I know he wasn't an All Star, but maybe he did he make it All NBA third team. No, I never made an. He never made an NBA team. His numbers, like the, the it, it's all rookie team. He was all rookie for, yeah. right when he came out of league. Okay, in that in that, that makes sense. That ninety eight draft with Vince Carter, he the lockout year, he kind of came out of nowhere. He got all rookie first team. That Kings team obviously made the playoffs, but the NBA champion was definitely the most impressive because. It was his first year with Miami, mm-hmm. and he started kind of what Lucas was saying because Gary Payton was on that team too, like late career Gary Payton. And that was the infamous uh, Dwayne Wade turning to Michael Jordan. Oh, and, oh yeah. and winning well, it wasn't infamous, but yeah. Well, the 06 one. It's, yeah, it's yeah, before yeah. the super team, right? It's it's, And he was the point guard. He, he started – he averaged 30 minutes. He started all 23 games mm-hmm. in the playoffs – Backcourt mate to D Wade. People forget about that. So he was kind of in a way facilitating him, you know, helping him. Veteran leader. Wade was pretty young. He's only in his third year. So to me, that that's kind of the most impressive thing. And and I I just do think like the guy was a winner, you know, like he fit in similar to like a Jason Kidd, I would say, just fit into a system. And 
he did kind of luck into like that super team of Soyakovic, Weber, Divac, you know, like before they traded traded him for Bibby. So he he really kind of and then the Memphis iteration of Pau Gasol and and those guys. So I think he was on a lot of like successful teams and I think he had a big part of that. So he doesn't have many accolades, but he is remembered. And I think just him coming into the league is just like his impression on the league. You know, Nash kind of came after him, but I think White Chocolate was, I think because he was like kind of, there's just something about him that like is a little more blue collar, I would say, that I think a lot of fans liked about him. Like he just was kind of that interview you just played. Like he just was, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, like a royal. royal. Yeah, like a rural, like relatable guy. And right. he's very humble. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think he was able to reach a section of the how he presented himself. Uh, yeah, you know, allowed him to reach people that wouldn't would be more of I would say football fans because normally when you think of yep. world country in America, you think of uh, football. And that's certainly where I live. Him being a quote unquote country boy in the in the NBA, I, I you know that's not even a good term, but like growing up in a in a country community. Yeah, there's not really many accolades, um, but what I will go back to what you were saying a little earlier about his style of play and how it was entertaining and, and people like to see it. We have to we had to put in context that Jason Williams came along in a time where streetball was very popular. And when you have someone who can just throw lobs and back behind the back passes with elbows and all that that's really entertaining. That's that's highlight real stuff, and people really love that, even to this day. Yeah, I would have liked to see him on a tanking team for a season or two, just to see what numbers he could have put up. Yeah, would have been nice to see because earlier in his career when he came in, uh, Uriah, what do you think? What what stands out? Yeah, Maurice, that was a good grab about street ball. I thought of the and one mixtape tour. I saw something recently where the professor was doing something with Jay Will and because they had similar style of flashiness, dribbling, et cetera. Yeah, but I think similar. What you mentioned, Ben, is interesting about the emphasis of him playing alongside D-Wade. So maybe as an unsung hero slash, I guess, overlooked achievement is helping with the development of Dwayne Wade, who became one of the top two guards in the history of this game. And Jay Will was right there next to him. So Maybe that that's those are some flowers that he needs to get that maybe people don't won't look at just because he doesn't have an award sitting on his mantle. Yeah, and and one other thing on that, Uriah, like thinking about like them in practice, he's like, yo, we're probably working on their ball handling. Like Jason Williams is one of the best ball handlers of all time. So with the ball, the passing. So Lucas, what about you? I was curious because you said that Mike Conley led led the franchise, and by far he has the most assists because he was there for a long time. There's actually somebody else ahead of Jay Will besides Mike Conley. It's uh, Marcus Saul by wow. about 600 assists. That's wow. not surprising. That's, no. um, it is, but and, it isn't. <laughs> and uh, by the way, John Morant's only about 239 behind him. Already? Oh, yeah. Man. Okay. So, But still, it's impressive. And then assist per game, he's also third behind Mike Bibby and John Morant. So it's, it's, it's impressive. Look, the guy put up some – it was one of the best passers. In terms of his awards, look, 
maybe if he came during it during like this, you know, eighties or early nineties, he could have had more accolades. But the point guard position was stacked at this point in the NBA. It's not surprising that he didn't get that many accolades because you know you're dealing with Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, uh, Steve Francis for a couple years. I'm trying to think of other great point guards during that era. Um, Stephon Marbury. Yeah. So, you know, it was hard to break. It was probably hard for him to break through. And he would be a quote-unquote floor general. That, you know, he, despite not having that many assists, he's a floor general. Kind of reminds me of, like, a uh, Tyus Jones today. Doesn't put up the flashiest assist numbers, but can run an offense. And that's what I think why he was brought into Miami. But anyway. Fourth quarter, teammates. Obviously, you, you played with LaMelo. What is he like as a teammate? Um, he was a real good guy. Just a real good teammate, uh, friendly, easygoing. Um, you know, still trying to learn. We'll wet behind the, wet behind the ears. Uh, you know, that's good. It's good to have, a, as a young guy, 18-year-old at least, someone that's ready to learn. What was he like behind closed doors? Uh, just a, re- a regular kid, man. I don't know how he adapts so well. Um, I know at 18, if I had to go through all that, it'd be kind of overwhelming for me. But I think since he's been a kid he's kind of went through it so it doesn't phase him at all it's kind of a lifestyle for him and uh he actually gets through it very well uh you know so um kudos to him and his his team and, uh, and what they've been doing for me it just like I signed with Illawar before I even knew he was going to be there I know it came out the opposite way but for me when I found out he was going to be there I was like look I don't want to go through that you know I'll come from the old school of you know being with the Kimbe Mutombo and and Ray for Austin and Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming. Like, now I'm playing with an 18-year-old Kardashian kid. That's why I was kind of, you know, that's what you – someone that's really involved into the social media and stuff like that, and that's really not my era. So I was like, all right, look, I just want to play basketball. Um, what surprised me is just, like, he was just a real cool kid, man. Like, he didn't – he wasn't um, – I would have never known he had that many followers unless, you know, unless we went out because he was just one of the guys. He had a roommate just like everybody else. He traveled with the team just like everybody else. Um, he was just one of the regular guys. You know, when I said we need to go get some extra work in, he was running to go get some extra work in. When we had extra running to do, he did extra running. Or anybody know who that was? He was shocked. to be a veteran, right? Yeah, because he was talking yeah. about – I'm trying to think of who was veterans on that Hornets team that first season. Well, I I can't I can't confirm if that was a pro team. It might have been an overseas team because I'll just tell you, it's Aaron Brooks. Oh, that was overseas. Oh. That had to be an NBL. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, that was yeah. NBL. But that was Aaron Brooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was okay. not a teammate of the Mellow Ball with the Charlotte Hornets. But yeah, let's yeah. But let's let's get into the Mellow Ball's teammates. Drafted in 2020, he's been with the Charlotte Hornets for three seasons. Only three seasons worth of teammates, but we can go down the list and just just tell you guys some of the teammates he's played with. Probably the most notable of his teammates, Gordon Hayward. I think Gordon Hayward is a player who any young player could benefit with a veteran like Gordon Hayward. He's a very versatile player himself, small forward. I think when we talk about Gordon Hayward, we always mention him in trades for like the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. But he's a very he's a really good serviceable player. Terry Rosaire, PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre, Malik Monk, Devontae Graham, Dennis Smith, 
And he actually played a season with Isaiah Thomas as well. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot about that. that. Yep. Yeah. Completely forgot about that. So I'll just go around the room and just ask you guys, what are some of the memories you have of the Charlotte Hornets team as present? And where do you see them going in the future with LaMelo as their superstar player? I'll start with Lucas. So I'm thinking about some of the last players that that he played with, especially the guards. You talk about Isaiah Thomas, just talk about Devontae Graham. You talk about Terry Rozier. He's playing with four first guards that are usually undersized. And, I mean, Terry Rozier was good at defense when he was in Boston, but hasn't been a defensive player since. And it makes me think, he's not a good defender. So that's part of their roster problem right there is that they're building a team where you don't have a plus defender next to LaMelo. And well, you don't need a score first guard next to him. You need a defender to help in a three-point spacer. Uh, I do like the uh, they they, they uh, I believe drafted a guy named Nick Smith this off season, yes. and uh, I I like what I've seen from him. We'll have to wait to see some more, but they they haven't done a good job of pairing him with a player that can defend other guards well. Well, I'll say this before I throw it to Ben: they're emphasizing the Mellow's best attributes, which is they're bringing in guys who can catch and shoot. Guys who can catch lobs and dunk. Miles Bridges, Devontae Graham, who's a great shooter. P.J. Washington. Those are the type of guys that are going to make metal ball great. But the roster construction, as we say it every, every episode, the roster construction hasn't been great so far. I mean, they're a playing team as of right now. Ben? There's a teammate you forgot. It's soon to be. Uh, he hasn't played with him yet, Maurice, but Brandon Miller. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I was at Summer League and I was impressed with his size. He's about probably closer to 6'10, I would say, with length. I think he's very Paul George, can play the point forward. So I think LaMelo finally has that teammate. He's played with a lot of like journeymen. Like, uh, it's funny, like PJ Washington and Gordon Hayward are always in, and Rosier are like always in trades, right? And then Kelly Oubre, who just left. Um, but unfortunately, he's had a little bit of a controversy. And, and I, I know we're all on NBA Twitter and his current teammate, Kai Jones. They're like, what's this dude on? Like, and they keep saying perks in the comments. Uh, yeah, he's posting some interesting TikToks. Yeah. You're and then right. obviously, Do you know about these? Um, they're pretty funny, Uriah. I have no idea what he's, you're talking he's, about. He's he's a foreign player, and as we know, with foreign players, the humor can be different. You know, yeah. like so, I feel like a little bit of, of it's that. You know, he's just he, kind of goofy. He's also uh, saying that he's the best center on the roster. Yeah, uh, and he went to out, Texas and, and, uh, and calling out names. Oh, he's, he's kind of great. He's got like blue hair. I I I kind of love it, but <laughs> he's had a little bit of the Mile Bridges thing because uh, Bridges was actually like a fringe All Star that year. Yeah, uh, but the year before he had the controversy. So yeah, uh, he's had some bad yeah. luck, but I'm not. I think we were. Someone mentioned about leading league in assists. That could happen next year if Brandon Miller is a hit. Yeah, I mean he was the yeah. number two pick. Is he going to start though? Is he going to start? Brandon Miller will definitely yes. start. Are you yes. sure? Yes, at the three. Yeah, mm-hmm. who do they have at the three? Is PJ Washington? Gordon Hayward. Or PJ's a four. And they have Miles Bridges. PJ's a four. Yeah, that works. I don't think Hayward will start, Lucas. No, I don't think he will. I would start 
Miller at the two. Well, yeah. I mean, or you can start. I guess yeah, you can either bench PJ or Terry. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I think. Um, I think but yeah. uh, Brandon Miller, I think. Um, I mean, he was the number two pick in a very stacked draft, so I think mm-hmm. that that will be his best teammate to come. They they can't throw him into the deep end though, because if he plays too early, it's not going to be it's not going to be good for them. He might yeah. end up busting. I think he needs a small role. As unfortunate as it is that the Miles Bridges situation is still kind of up in the air, I think it could mean that some of these other younger players can benefit and grow because of the instinctual and and savvy passing of LaMelo Ball. And the reality is, is no matter who's there, he's going to make them better. And I think that's the beauty of his game that, that shows off his skill and his craftiness. But again, I, I just, I look at Miles Bridges and I think how fun it would be to a Charlotte Hornets fan to be a fan, to see all those lobs, because you know that Bridges can get up and that LaMelo can find him anywhere around the rim. So I think it's unfortunate. Again, I'll stick to what everyone's saying is he could lead the league in assists. It's just a matter of time. A, a guy that I have to mention that I really had fun playing with, White Chocolate in Miami. Oh. White Chocolate was nice to play with. Because right. I, could, I could just put my hand up like that and the ball would be right he there every time. He, you know what? Every time. Every time. Jason so, Williams would never. Shout out to White Chocolate. Right, right. He yes. would never get the credit that's due as one of those point guards, but he was definitely flash of his time, and he definitely was one of the premier guards of his time. So shout to J Dub about that, man. Thank you. I know you, you know, I know people try to mix that J-Dub, up. J Dub, I love you. You're underappreciated. Right. He sometimes looked like a magic, you know. The other night, you know, he, he made past me, you know, I really didn't see a ball. The ball just hit me in the ass. That was Vladi Divat and obviously Shaq. Let's talk about Jason Williams' teammates. Drafted in the 1998 NBA draft by the Sacramento Kings, immediately he went to a competitive team. Immediately the Sacramento Kings were a threat in the Western Conference. They had some classic series against the Los Angeles Lakers. I think the year after he left, there was a controversy about, you know, where they screwed out of the series and, you know, the the refs gave the uh, Lakers a couple wins there. But anyway, I digress. This This is a pretty good list of teammates that Jason Williams played for with the Sacramento Kings. Chris Webber, Vlade Diva, Peja Stojakovic, Doug Christie, mm. Hito Turkoglu. Ooh, young Hito. Yeah, John Barry. Bobby oh. Jackson, oh, who's yeah. now, yeah, who's now coach. coach. Yeah. Vernon Maxwell, you played a year oh. with. And Corliss Williamson and Nick Anderson for a year as well, 99 2000. Okay. Now, what are you guys' first opinions, first thoughts are when it comes to that Sacramento Kings team just being competitive in the Western Conference in the late 90s, early 2000s? I'll start with Uriah. I remember watching that team and thinking, wow, they have a squad. They have guys in different positions that play specific roles, and everyone was buying in. C-Webb was at the top of his game. A lot of players like Bobby Jackson, guys coming off the bench, that knew how to help the team advance. So I was always impressed by that. It was always unfortunate for them that the Lakers were always there in the way. And as you said, maybe there was some <laughs> discrepancies and 
call making and things that seemed unfair for a small market team like Sacramento. But when I think about those teammates, Maurice, of Jay Will, man, he had some talent around him. A lot of versatile players that can all do multiple things, and that's what made them real tough. It's funny because Stoyakovich was drafted in that 96 draft, but technically it was his rookie year, I believe, was the same year Jay Will was there. Yeah. He came over. Yeah. That influx with C-Web, that trade, they just were like, who the – I remember thinking, like, this is before League Pass. This is the 90s. So, But I remember staying up real late to watch the Kings. Like, they were that exciting. The ball movement – just everyone was just moving the basketball. It was really exciting to see. And you kind of rooted for them. And it was in Sacramento. So it was like a – it's kind of similar to what's happened with Sacramento now. It's a small town, and they've got a great fan base. So that was, like, really exciting. I remember those teams. I, I would watch them, and I'm not a Kings fan. I would, like – if the Kings were on, I remember I was, like, tuned in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same here. Same here. Yeah. And, yeah. and just thinking about what you said about the Lakers battles and – you know, it, it is interesting. Like we, I get why he didn't make an all-star team because you had Jay Kidd, Gary Payton, uh, Nick Van Axel, Mike Bibby, Kobe. Yeah. The Western Conference was <laughs> Steve Nash. Yeah, like he just didn't stand a chance. To yeah, make an all-star team yeah. back then. But he sh- he probably should have looking back because I think they won like did they win like close to sixty games one year? Yeah, they won yeah. sixty-one games back in oh one oh two, but I. Don't know if he was there. The year point. before, no. they won close. Yeah, yeah, that was the year so. after. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And Eagles, Lucas. So I'm, I'm looking at it. They also had Rick Adelman as their head coach, mm-hmm. who I think Rick Adelman's underrated as a head coach in NBA history. I will also say this: they are one of the best teams to never make an NBA Finals. I, I oh. think they are one of the best teams to never not not to win a championship, but never to make an NBA Finals. Yeah, I agree with that. And and one other thing, not to interrupt Lucas, I think they had the best backup point guard arguably ever in Bobby Jackson. Okay. After that, as we just mentioned the 0102 team, Jason Williams was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies for Mike Bibby, mm. who went on to be a, a superb guard himself and helped propel that Sacramento Kings team to Another level. I mean, they, I think they were more competitive with Bibby. But when Jason Williams went to the Memphis Grizzlies, they weren't bad themselves. Uh, let me write off some of the teammates. We mentioned earlier, Powell Casal. This is when Powell first came into the league, definitely before he went to the Lakers. Shane Battier. Mike mm. Miller. Scroll Miles mm. Swift. That's the name. Never heard yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah. Wesley Persons. Bonzi Wells. I remember him. Bonzi. Yeah. And pretty much that's about it for the um, Memphis Grizzlies. Was Zach Randolph on that? No, he was still no. in L.A., wasn't he? He wasn't He's in Memphis. Portland, Red. right? Yeah. Portland. Yeah. Portland. He was not there yet. But it is interesting that Lucas mentioned earlier that his prime year statistically was with Memphis. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that really surprised me because – the roster at that particular time for Memphis wasn't great. And this is like right when they moved to Memphis. I think they were still Vancouver. I was about to before. say, didn't, well, I think it was his first year was in Memphis. So they just hadn't like yeah. rebranded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, that was his first year with Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will say, I think they traded Mike Bibby because Mike Bibby refused to play for them anymore. 
Wasn't it something along the lines of that, or didn't want to be drafted there? I'm not sure about that one. I have to double check on that one. Yeah, yeah you're right. I didn't even know about that because I remember he didn't want to go there on draft night. I That's remember right. That. That's that was right. a big deal. Okay. He didn't want to go uh-huh. to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Memphis wasn't really competitive, but it is interesting to know that statistically, Jason Williams' prime years was with the Memphis Grizzlies with that roster. It wasn't the best roster. But he was traded again to another roster who was had championship aspirations. That was the Miami Heat. Yeah, so I just want to say Mike Miller, you said, was on mm-hmm. that team, and Shane Battier. Two players that knew their role, that were good spot-up three-point shooters. So it's no wonder that Jason Williams was able to rack up some stats in the assist column when you have guys like that to pass to. Yeah, and if you think about it, they ended up being Miami Heat guys, too. All three yes. of them at some point. Yes. It's yeah. good grab. Yeah. Good grab. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Like, he kind of got traded to what was expected to be a rebuilding team. But I think the Grizzlies drafted really well outside of Shromile Swift. <laughs> uh, they hit really well. Yeah, I know. I was, like, rooting for that guy for a while. I thought he had some. I know. Me, too. Yeah, the uh, – Mike Miller, Shane Battier, I, I forgot about that. I, I mean, Pau Gasol, Bonzi Wells, and maybe he made that team better. He brought a little bit more veteran leadership, his experience with the Kings. But um, so, yeah, I think that he probably helped those guys' development, those young guys, and uh, especially Powell, because we know what kind of player he became. So I'm sure he helped develop him. Yeah, yeah. As we know, he went on to play with the Miami Heat, and they won a championship. Now, you know when you're on a team with D Wade, a third year D Wade, mm. still young and spry, mm-hmm. healthy, yeah. healthy, <laughs> yeah. And you got you still got a dominant Shaq too. Maybe the end of his prime, but Definitely still a, at the end of his prime. Yeah, but it still wasn't a dom- just those two. It wasn't just well, those two, though. Well, I know, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I'm excited. I'm excited. That's the first finals I ever watched. So, And don't forget, they had a backup, Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning was a backup. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Delone Wright, Ricky Davis, Antoine Walker. Wow. And I didn't even know that. This is something oh, I just I realized. That. Antoine I Walker was that. on that team. I'm mm-hmm. still thinking Celtics. Antoine Walker. <laughs> he he, he right. was he was starting on that team. He yeah. was a starter. Sean Marion. Now that was at hmm? the year after. That was oh, the year okay. after. Okay. That was okay. The year yeah, because he was a part of the Shaq trade. Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Payton, as we mentioned earlier. And a name that <laughs> the guy's been there forever. Udonis Haslam. Yeah. <laughs> he seemed like just retired. Oh, just retired. Young he, Udonis with the cornrows. Wow. Yeah. I remember yeah. that Udonis. Yeah. So let me go around to Ben. What was your I, let me let me start with Lucas since that was his Please first. Do. That was, Please do. <laughs> Thank you. Lucas so, is salivating you, over there. I am. So I Lucas am. Lucas, what were your thoughts on that championship Miami Heat team? So I remember watching this live. I was like ten or eleven. And First off, it made me fall in love with the NBA because Shaq. I, I, Shaq was the one that because I, I I was a tall kid for my age, so like I could relate to Shaq more. But what I will say about this, the 
Miami Heat made the right call because they needed somebody to organize that offense with all those personalities. You have Antoine Walker, who was the second best player coming over from Boston to becoming a role player. You had James Posey coming off the bench as an elite defensive three and D guy. By the way, shout out to James Posey, man, winning two championships in like three years. You had Udonis Haslam, you know, undrafted, unproven guy coming in. You had Alonzo Mourning coming off the bench. Third string center, Michael Doliak. And yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah. By the way, fun fact, Shaq used to say that Michael Doliak used to light him up in practice. But no, Jason Williams was the type of guy you needed. Because I didn't even realize that, you know, Ricky Davis was on that team. Yeah. Was he on the championship team? Or was he just on the Miami Heat roster at some point? No, he was on the year after 07. Okay. 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 I was about to say, I don't remember him on that run. My point being here is that that was the last, you know, the, those last three years with Miami was his last part of his prime. And they needed a veteran guy to come in and run that offense and make sure that everybody got the ball evenly. And that's exactly what he did. Make sure everybody stayed happy. He did kind of provide that almost like Derek Fisher, like that connectivity, Agreed. like that kind of veteran. Uh, it was, I think what's impressive is it was his first year and he's like, I mean, the team, obviously, it got Shaq, and they had Shaq, and D-Wade, it was his first kind of, like, superstar breakout year. Yeah, I, I think just all the pieces fit, all the wings they had, Antoine Walker, they had a lot of 3 and D guys, and they made some good trades. But yeah, the fact that it was his first year is pretty impressive. And yeah, he just kind of, like, connected the dots. I think he provided them high basketball IQ, veteran leadership, playoff experience. And because he, he, he went to the playoffs a few times with Memphis. And yeah, he just, I think, really probably helped develop Dwayne Wade into the player he became, especially that that, that epic finals run. So we know that's that's how Gary Payton got his, his ring, right? We think about that, but we don't realize, for some reason, when you think about the history of this team, everyone thinks about, D Wade and and then Shaq was kind of like not really playable at, at points in the playoffs. He kind of ran out of steam. You don't really remember that Jay Will was on the court the entire time and he started and it it all the other guys were kind of like back up. So yeah, I think he's kind of lost in in the narrative around this this team. Did they beat Dallas that year? Yeah, Dallas. Yeah. That was so, the first time Dallas. They so him. Yeah. I'm mad at Jay Will because he lost <laughs> me a bet. I bet on I bet on Dirk to win his first NBA Finals, and I think they were up in that series. They were. They were. Yeah, yeah. so I'm a little mad at J-Well right now. I need my 100 bucks back. Anyway, so. <laughs> that, that was not, that was more D-Wade than J-Well. That's true. I, that's yeah. true. But speaking of D-Wade, that was back when he kind of had the baldy. He's really short hair. Mm-hmm. Looked really young. He was cut up. Shaq was, like you said, been unplayable at certain points. But to have Alonzo Mourning as a backup, to have Antoine Walker contributing offensively and Gary Payton. How ironic is it that Gary Payton is a player that tried to trip Jason Williams in that iconic crossover layup when he was in Sacramento. Remember that? I did did not know that. So, Oh, you've never seen a highlight where he tried to trip him. Oh man, I'll I'll, I'll send it before my time. Oh, you, when you watch it, you will crack up laughing. So it's so apparent. He tried to trip him. But anyway, the point is, is Jay Williams, Jason Williams was an integral part of that team, and he was a leader. And I was so happy for him because he'd been in the league so long. He got his first chip. I was happy for Antoine Walker. 
believe it or not, and I was happy for Gary Payton. So that was a special Miami Heat team, and Jay Will yeah. brought a lot to it. Yeah, and just to wrap it up, he played with the Orlando Magic and then went back to Memphis to retire. All right, everyone. So that wraps it up, our comparison with Jason Williams and LaMelo Ball. If you really like what we presented to you in this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to your favorite pods. Now that we've set up the debate with all the facts on LaMelo Ball and Jason Williams, it's time for you to make your case. At this point, it's not about our opinion. It's about yours. We'll see you on your favorite social media platform, ready to check out your takes. Chime in on our Instagram at NBA underscore now and then and underscore pod, on Twitter at NBA underscore now and then, and on our Facebook page, NBA now and then. All right, everyone. Until next time, this has been NBA now and then, the greatest comparisons. Have a good day. Later. See you.